0: You know, one of my favorite parts of children's ministry is when a new volunteer joins our team. But sometimes I wonder what kind of experience are they having once they actually start serving with the kids? Are we setting them up to win or just leaving them to figure it out on their own? And what are those things that every new volunteer needs to succeed? Well, if you want to find out, then stick around because that's what we're talking about today on the Simple Kidmin Podcast episode Hey fun people, welcome back to the Simple Kid Men podcast where we take the complicated world of children's ministry leadership and we boil it down to those essential things that matter the most. And there are few things that matter more than setting our leaders up to win. Now, several years ago, back when our church still had a Saturday night service, we had one of those nights where everything went wrong. Our electronic check-in system froze up. Our video projector that we used for song lyrics and teaching graphics wouldn't work. I even discovered at the last minute that we were missing crucial supplies for our small group lessons. And I discovered all of this right as we were opening the door for check-in 15 minutes before service began. But here's the crazy thing. It turned out to be one of the best services I've ever experienced in children's ministry. Why? Because we had a room full of amazing volunteers who sprang into action, helped us roll with the punches, and made sure that the kids had a fantastic experience. The moral of this story is that it doesn't matter what else you have or don't have. Your ministry rises and falls on your leaders. I believe we have a responsibility to take great care of the volunteers God sends our way, and that starts even before the first day they serve. Now think about this. The volunteers in our ministry are a precious gift. They're the body of Christ. They are Jesus' bride, and we have a responsibility to love them, serve them, and help them grow. We need to stop thinking about what they can do for us and think about what we can do for them. Now, after all, our leaders are giving their valuable time and energy to come serve in children's ministry when they could really be doing a million other things, serving in a million other places. And I believe that we owe it to them to honor their time. But even more than that, I think we have a ministry opportunity to help new leaders discover how to use their gifts, maybe for the very first time. And as a result, as they learn to use their gifts and experiment and grow in ministry, they're also going to grow in their relationship with God. I'll never forget the words one of my leaders told me several years ago. She said, I never knew that serving God could be like this. See, during the week, she had a full-time job working in a pharmaceutical lab. But on Sundays, she got to come and use her gift for acting and communicating to bring the Bible to life for kids. Now, her day job was a ministry too. But on Sundays, she got to exercise spiritual muscles that she would never use if it hadn't been for children's ministry. Imagine if every leader felt like that. Imagine if every leader walked away from your ministry thrilled that God had used them for eternal, life-changing ministry. I think that's possible, but there are some things that they're going to need from you to get there. In fact, I've identified eight things that I think every leader needs from their children's ministry leader to set them up to win. Now, there may be other things you would add to this list, but I think these eight are the most important. There is so much to cover in this. I am breaking it up into a two-part episode. Today, we're going to hit the first four things a volunteer needs from you. And next time in two weeks, we'll talk about the other four things. These aren't necessarily arranged in order of importance. In fact, I'm saving the biggest and best one for last in the next episode, but they're all very important. So here we go. What are those first four things that volunteers need to set them up to win? Number one is vision. Our leaders need to understand the bigger picture of the role they play. They're not babysitters or childcare workers. They're the light of the world, shining the love of God for every kid to see. They are shepherds of God's flock, leading the kids in their care to know Jesus, to follow him. They are baton passers of faith, and the next generation is desperately waiting to receive from them the hope of the world. They're the keepers of the greatest story ever told, the life-changing, living, and active word of God. They're ambassadors for Christ, Jesus with skin on, and God is making his appeal to children and families through them. Think about the prayer Elisha prayed for his servant in 2 Kings 6:17. He prayed, "O Lord, open his eyes and let him see." The verse goes on to say, "The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, and chariots of fire." God opened his servant's eyes to see what he was doing behind the scenes of our everyday world. He gave him a glimpse of his hidden activity in the heavenly realms. Now, we should be painting a vision for our leaders that will open their eyes as well. We want to open their eyes to the eternal significance of what God wants to do through them. God is at work and he's inviting them to join him there. We need to remind them that behind the scenes in children's ministry, God is up to some big kingdom building stuff and he's going to use them to do it. Number two, leaders need clear expectations. Here's a great example of this. Now, several years ago, I had a fantastic storyteller named Mabel. She was really one of the best communicators I've ever met. So good, so talented, so compelling. She would do anything that she could to bring the Bible to life for kids. It was amazing. Now, one morning, uh, Mabel was going to be teaching in our third through fifth grade Children's worship, and they met in the same room where I was going to be teaching the first hour. I would teach uh, during our first service, the younger kids. Mabel would come in and teach the older kids in the second hour. Now, when I came in to set up early in the morning, there wasn't another soul around in church. So imagine my surprise as I was setting my props up on stage when all of a sudden I heard from the little half wall we had on the stage this screeching cock-a-doodle-doo. I jumped up, you know, nearly had a heart attack, trying to figure out where it was coming from. And then again, this rooster crowed out. I looked back behind the little um, wall on our stage and there was a live rooster in a cardboard box. Suddenly I realized Mabel was teaching about Peter denying Jesus and she was going to teach it in a way the kids wouldn't forget. But I could not teach my lesson with a live rooster in the room. So when she came back into the room, I said, Mabel, this is awesome. The kids are gonna love this rooster, but I have to teach your first hour. You gotta get him out of here. And she said, what do you want me to do with him? And I said, I don't care. Just get him out of here. That was a big mistake because I didn't tell Mabel specifically where to take the rooster. Now, I need to stop and tell you right now, during those days, our church met in a family life center, basically a gym that we would set up for Sunday mornings. It had a kitchen immediately off the side of it with a a serving bar and a a window where you could serve food out when we were using it for like connect activities, social activities in the church. But on Sundays, it was our auditorium. And so that meant that our senior minister, Gary, was preaching about 30 feet from that kitchen window. Well, imagine my surprise when about halfway through that first service, I'm up on the stage teaching the kids and a volunteer from the adult service pokes her head in and she said, Jason, Gary wants to know why there's a rooster in the kitchen. In other words, the rooster that Mabel had gotten out of my worship room ended up in pretty much the adult worship room, about 30 feet from my senior pastor who was preaching his sermon being interrupted by this live rooster. Gary wants to know why there's a rooster in the kitchen. Still one of my favorite lines from children's ministry. Now, in Mabel's defense, I didn't tell her where to put the rooster and where not to put it. She just figured it out, and that's what leaders do. If I had a specific expectation, like don't put it a few yards away from our senior minister, then I probably should have said so. Now, no one likes to do a job where they don't know what's expected of them. Volunteers want to be effective. They want to be helpful. They want to win with kids and families, but it's up to us to tell them how. When they're first starting out, volunteers need highly directive leadership to learn the ropes. They need job descriptions, training, time to apprentice with other leaders if that's possible. That's just basic discipleship, and it will also save you and them a lot of frustration. Let me tell you about a scenario I've seen play out time and time again over the years. A volunteer comes into the ministry, begins to serve, and before you knew it, they're doing something that is driving their leader crazy. It may be that they're on their phone all the time. It may be that they're letting their kids get too wild. It may be that they're always late. Then inevitably, their leader gets frustrated with them to the point that they don't even really want them on their team. Now, if I get wind of this issue, the first thing I ask is, were they trained on that specific behavior when they started serving? The answer is usually no. And then I ask, have you talked to them about it? Again, the answer is usually no. I think it was John Maxwell who once said, in the absence of leadership, leaders lead. In other words, leaders figure it out. And if you want them to lead in a certain direction or you have specific expectations, you owe it to them to be clear about it from the front end and then continue to coach them towards those expectations week after week. Number three, leaders need the right tools. Now I'm talking mainly about curriculum and supplies. Nothing is more frustrating than being given a job to do and not having the tools to do it. I have tackled way too many home improvement projects trying to get by with tools that I had instead of renting or borrowing something that I really needed to get the job done. Don't do that to your leaders. It's going to discourage them faster than you can imagine. So take a hard look at your curriculum and ask, does this curriculum set my leaders up to win? Does it help them to have spiritual conversations with their kids so they'll feel like God really used them this weekend? Does it help them to move God's word from a kid's head to their hearts? Is it easy to use or is it cumbersome? Is it fun? And what about the supplies? Do your leaders have everything in their room they need, or do they at least know where to get it? Do they have enough supplies for the number of kids they have? At our church, we provide our small group leaders with baskets that are pre-stocked with all the supplies they're going to need for their day's lesson. We copy, cut, sort, and stock those baskets so that leaders will be free to engage with the kids. For our large group storytellers, we provide all the props and costumes they're going to need for their story. Now, even if you don't go that far, make sure your children's environments are loaded with everything a leader would need to get their job done. Now, one tool that your leaders are going to need is really easy to overlook, and that's time. You can give them the best curriculum and supplies on the planet, but if they have too little or too much time, then they're going to get frustrated. So ask yourself, do your leaders have enough time to connect with their kids and do ministry, or do they have too much time for their curriculum to fill? Providing the right balance of time and curriculum is crucial for helping leaders have a great experience. I remember one year during our fall kickoff, we spent a lot of energy preparing our small group leaders to have a special activity just to get to know the new kids in their group. Groups were brand new that week. They'd never been together. So we wanted to make sure that we had a great activity that just helped develop those new relationships. Unfortunately, the large group teacher went really long in his lesson that day, and we didn't even have time to go to small groups. By not managing the time, we cheated all of our small group leaders. We cheated them out of the opportunity to build relationships in their group, and we cheated them out of the opportunity to use all the things that they had prepared. Now, on the other hand, I've seen days when the lesson was super short and leaders were sweating trying to figure out how they were going to fill all that extra time, trying to figure out how they were going to keep the kids from going crazy and staging a mutiny and taking over the room. So it's the balance of just the right time with just the right curriculum and just the right supplies that makes it work. Number four, leaders need the right environment. Not only do leaders need the right tools to connect with kids and to help them to grow in their faith, but they need the right environment. So ask yourself, what kind of space are you giving your leaders to use? Is there enough room to do what you've asked them to do? Is it quiet enough to lead discussions or teach? Are there distractions that might make it hard to keep the kids' attention? For example, at my church, we do a large group-small group model, and our small groups can be really loud. Sometimes it can be hard to hear because we have so many groups in the same breakout room. So whenever possible, we'll try to pull some of those groups out into our large group teaching space just to cut down on the noise. Unfortunately, though, we don't have a large group room at all of our campuses, so we just have to make it work with the space that we have, and that's really what it comes down to. Are you doing the best with the space that you have? You know, sometimes you can make a huge difference even without spending any money at all. Check out the show notes over at simplekidmen.com, and I will give you some just some simple tips that can help you to make a huge difference in your children's ministry space even with very little budget. Of course, if you have more money to spend, you can do a lot of other things in your children's space and make your environments uh, even more inviting, but really, even without spending much money, there are some amazing things that you can do that will really make your space not only useful for your leaders, but really inviting to kids. All right, so that's it for today. We're talking about giving them vision, clear expectations, the right tools, and the right environment. Now, that's just the first half of what we need to give our leaders to set them up to win. The next half, what I consider probably the more important half, is going to be coming up in the next episode in a couple of weeks. Our simple takeaway today is do everything you can to set your leaders up to win. And our verse for today comes to us from Ephesians 4.12. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Be sure to check out the show notes over at simplekidmen.com for some of the ideas that I talked about, some helpful links that will uh, hopefully set you up to win to set your leaders up to win. I hope you found this encouraging. If you liked what you heard, tell all of your children's ministry friends about this podcast because I want to encourage and equip as many children's ministers as possible over the weeks and the months to come. Hope you have an amazing week serving your leaders and watching God work through them. I'll see you next time.